Welcome to Life on the Hill. If this is your first time joining us, this podcast is intended for Hamilton College students and the Hamilton College community to stay up to date on things that are going on around campus and to hear the voices of people committed to the success of Hamilton College students. My name is Travis Hill and I'm the host of this program. In this episode, we hear from Usman Hamid, instructor of Asian Studies. Thanks for joining me, Usman. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, as I like to do on the podcast, let's start from the beginning. What brought you to Hamilton? Sure. So, I joined Hamilton in the fall of 2019. So, this last year was my first year at Hamilton College. Hamilton was looking for a tenure-track faculty member in the study of Islam. And when I sort of looked at the job ad, saw sort of like the amazing programs that you had here, I was really excited to apply for it. And I interviewed back in December 2018, I guess. Yes. And then uh, the rest is history. <laughs> and quite a history it's been for one year, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, what a first year. <laughs> yeah. It's like... Uh, I ended up missing all the pomp and ceremony at the end of the first year. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the reason that we connected to do this podcast today was actually started by you forwarding some articles that you had found interesting to Dean Martinez, who passed them around as we were having conversations about how to help students think about their experiences and how to move through this pandemic situation. Can you talk a little bit about what led you to do that and what drew you to those articles? Yeah, sure. So I I guess I should just give a little bit of background. I moved here to central New York. Uh, I grew up in Pakistan originally, and then I lived in Canada for about 17 years. So I was pretty new to the States. I have some family um, living on the East Coast and some friends, but not in the area. And one of the things that sort of with the pandemic, I think we all sort of faced this. I mean, we were all asked to uh, isolate ourselves socially, right? For those who are living in nuclear families, for those who have sort of families nearby, you know, the people's bubbles included their immediate families, sort of people that they've known for a while. However, when I moved here, I've only been here in uh, the area for about six or seven months when this happened. And so the isolation, sort of like this isolation that comes from social distancing was very acute, right? And then also meant sort of trying to figure out how to navigate these new circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then when the plan to sort of reopen the college and sort of bring everyone back to campus was starting up, I was often thinking about sort of another pandemic that we've sort of been dealing with for years, also in the New York state and of course globally, which was the HIV crisis. And how did people think about socializing in that kind of context? One article in the, it was a write-up in the Journal of American Medical Association by two internal medicine um, doctors, Eric Kushner and uh, Eric Kuster and Richard Green, called a harm reduction approach to coronavirus disease, safer socializing. And one of the things they sort of say is that, you know, like HIV, coronavirus spreads through pre-existing social networks, right? So it's a disease that particularly hits your social side. 
That's helpful. Thank you for that background. So when I read the articles that you had passed along, one of the things that kind of stood out to me is we have been thinking about all the rules and the policies around how we want our students and the rest of our community to behave. That commentary about the abstinence approach to the HIV and AIDS epidemic really resonated with me. Was that part of some of the things that resonated with you as well? Yeah, so I think one of the things that comes across is that when sort of when the crisis was in the peak, whether it was the HIV crisis or even sort of the coronavirus, you know, we all had to shut down all socializing, right? But the reality is that the coronavirus is here to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a virologist, so I can't tell you sort of like when the vaccine is going to come or not, but not coming this year. It might come out next year. Maybe we might have mass access to it next year, the year after. But we sort of have to continue living our lives in the meantime, right? We can't all sort of just bunker down for the next two years and not meet people. Right. Right. And so that was another thing that sort of thinking about uh, resilience and sort of like how communities affected by HIV sort of transcended those limitations made me think about how we could potentially learn something from that crisis in how we should interact now. Yeah, so one of the pieces that it helped me as I was thinking about framing this for students is just thinking about the risk management aspects of this, that every choice that we make puts us more or less at risk and what risks are we willing to take and what risks are we not? And then the other concept that's really central in all of this is consent. So one of the things is I think many people fairly early on and now especially are beginning to feel sort of quarantine fatigue or fatigue with sort of the rules. Yes. But what often happens is that we tend to think of this as an all or nothing approach, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. you are observing social distancing, that you're proper mask wearing, you're observing proper social distancing. But if you trip up or if you are not able to sort of meet some ideal level, that it becomes an all or nothing and then, you know, that it's out the window, right? But risk isn't binary. It's not an all or nothing proposition. Right. Uh, sort of on a continuum. And so one thing to sort of think about that is to, if you're elevating your risk exposure in certain contexts, the literature out there says is that you should seriously think about reducing it in other contexts, right? So it's like you are open to expanding one end, you got to reduce it another. This way of thinking comes from harm reduction approaches. In terms of sort of thinking about risk and consent, I think it's important to remember that people have very different risk tolerances and risk exposures. Yes. With, right? um, or that they're just exposed to because of their job, family situation, or home circumstance. And I think it's really important to talk to people about their respective safety protocols. They may not resemble what yours look like, right? And I think here is sort of where consent is an important way of thinking about this is because it's good to have a conversation of what exactly are you consenting to share a meal? Are you consenting to simply sort of hang out with them? Are you consenting to a gathering that is socially distant and everyone is wearing a mask or is someone, or are you consenting to hanging out outside where perhaps you're not maintaining a six foot distance or not everyone will be wearing a mask? And these are really awkward conversations. And I think they're awkward conversations for college students. I think they're awkward conversations for adults in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. I don't think anyone has a monopoly over who's having these awkward conversations sure. and who's not. And so it's important to talk to the people that you're with. And this is also true of when you're dating or entering into a relationship with someone, right? Mm. Asking them what they are comfortable with. 
asking them if a relationship entails hanging out indoors or simply hanging out outdoors. Right? Yeah. So here's sort of like, this is one way to sort of think about how consent also plays a role. Yeah, that's good. I It's interesting because I have had a number of conversations with students leading up to people coming to campus. And I was really impressed with a number of upper class students who, based on who they were living adjacent to and were going to be in the same family unit or cohort or extended family unit, that they already had a plan. They already had conversations about how they were each going to behave so that it helped for that risk mitigation. Like you said, if you're if you're gonna to choose to have more risk by being close with people, then knowing what the risks they're taking can help inform your decisions and your comfort level. And you may decide that that's not actually a choice that you feel good about if you better understand how that person is behaving when they're not with you. And that those conversations are essential and that everybody needs to be on the same page and consenting to whatever the interaction is. Just taking your mask off in someone else's presence without having a conversation first is a big deal right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think our days of sort of like zero risk social interaction are gone. Right. And so I think it's really important for us to be mindful of the fact that um, different people also have different circumstances. Some people have immunity issues. They may have family members who have uh, compromised immune systems. So we don't always know that. Right. right. You may sort of see someone out and so they're at work, they're wearing a mask. And so we assume that they have the same risk tolerance as us, but that may not necessarily be the case. I think one another thing that it's important to remember is that Risk is a little bit cumulative. This is something that I've been reading up about. Um, Aaron P. Carroll had an op-ed in the New York Times about this. He's a professor of pediatrics at the Indiana University School of Medicine. And one of the things he sort of talked about was that risk is a cumulative action. We, we're going to have to make certain trade-offs. Maybe hanging out socially with your friends is really important for you and for you to have a sense of community, for your mental health. But that might mean that you have to make sacrifices in other domains, right? Say you're entering into a relationship with someone new, perhaps you may have to trade off in who you see from your friend circle to reduce risk on that end. One of the things I think we also need to talk about is shaming and stigmatization. Yes. That's something that is found from research on, for instance, the HIV crisis, was that shaming and stigmatization did not eliminate risky behavior. It just drives it underground. Yes. And I think that given what happened with COVID, it was it, it's very emotionally raw time, mm -hmm. right? I think we've all sort of seen on social media videos or memes about calling out people for not wearing a mask or not properly social distancing. And it comes from a gut emotional place. But again, evidence says that shaming and stigmatization is not the best strategy of dealing with this. For instance, with stigmatization, you may actually hurt your contact tracing. Sure. Right. right. Which is an important tool by which we can make sure that we can check on who sort of may have had exposure. Right now, for instance, we have no cases of COVID. We're quite lucky, but we may have one. Imagine the amount of stigma that that student or that staff or faculty member may feel for being that first person. Mm -hmm. right? It's really important that we understand that transmission of COVID is not necessarily just because people are not responsible or they're willful, willfully not following rules, right? It could be that somebody's partner works in a nursing home. It could be that, you know, two students out for a jog, they end up sharing a water bottle, right? These are not things that we, are, we would think are socially bad, right? right? 
or they may be that moment where we have the transmission. And so I think that's something to sort of think about, encourage each other to practice proper social distancing, to wear masks, think about our community's safety, that we don't stigmatize people. Yeah, agreed. I actually, I think about this on two ends. The one end where it's really trying to discourage high risk behavior not wanting people to just be out there acting like business as usual or throwing parties or doing things that are high risk possible significant spread circumstances and wanting to discourage that but at the same time i have absolutely spent time thinking about whoever the first person is in the event hopefully knock on wood it doesn't happen but but given the circumstances it's entirely likely that at some point it will and thinking about if you happen to be that individual and you start to recognize symptoms and the temptation to ignore it or to not report it or to not take the steps to assess whether or not that's what's happening for exactly that reason, for fear of the stigma and what will happen, I don't want that. You know, I want anybody who feels like they might possibly be in that situation to get the help that they need and to, and to follow the protocols and and it's essential that I, that we as a community not only try to look at our own behavior as a community a choice that impacts the community but also recognize that we all deserve some grace in this too yeah i think it's also important to remember and this is something that a number of uh, doctors have said it's important to also take calm when we see something that we're a little bit concerned about because just by the mere fact that people are hanging out or socializing or not observing distance does not mean that COVID is suddenly going to happen. It has to be there, right? So if, for instance, 95% of the time people are wearing masks, 95% of the time people are sort of properly social distancing, we are creating some kind of like herd barrier, right? So if we see something, if we want to inter intervene, if we want to give advice, it's important. We should do it in a way that does not stigmatize people and sort of shame them. And, and it's true. I think what you pointed out is 100% correct, right? There are certain activities that are going to be very high risk. A party inside is exceptionally high risk. All you need is one person to come there, pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic, and then you've got a community spread issue there, right? Another thing that you brought up, and I think it's important for people to do, is for them to actually think for a moment, what would you do if your test came back positive? Right. You have someone you can talk to right away. I'm sure like Hamilton has a protocol, but I think it's also important for an individual to sort of think who is a trusted friend they would tell, what would be the steps that they would take if that sort of was to happen, right? Because I think it would be, I mean, every time I do my test and I open it, there's one, there's a 30 second moment yes. <laughs> on the thing. And I'm just like, okay, please be negative. Please be negative. Please be negative. And there's a huge wave of relief, right? When that sure. test comes negative. But what if it came back positive, right? What is my game plan in that moment? Because it's, it's about your own personal health. It's about your social network's health. And it's also about your friendships, absolutely. right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because it is a challenging moment, right? That it's important to think about it because if that were to happen to any of us, yeah. next step, is that we have to go into isolation protocols, which is a challenging situation in the best of circumstances. And you have to go through contact tracing where you will be identifying other people that could be impacted by your now positive result. 
And all of those things are challenging. So yes, we are here and we're here to support our other members of our community and our students if they end up in this situation. But that's not the be all end all. You're right. You want to have your own network on the ready and have spend a little bit of time thinking about how you will react and how you will make sure you have the resources and support network in place that you would need if that happened. I remember just like a couple of days ago talking with a group of my friends about this very issue, sort of like what if one of us tested positive and we didn't have a game plan. Um, and then we came up with one, right? We were like, okay, so these people would be sort of making sure like their food supplies had come and, uh -huh. you know, also sort of like, how would you even phrase that text, your friends? Right. Right. Because like there's, there's the proper contact tracing, but you know, if you've been hanging out with your friends, you had dinner with them last night, yep. um, you know, how do you send a message that says, I'm sorry, everyone, I think I had, uh, I got exposed to COVID. Right. So I think, you know, these are, um, I think it's important to just think it out once before because these are awkward situations that I don't think any of us want to be in. And so we may not actually think about what, how we would phrase things, how we would go about doing them. And so if that moment sort of arises, you don't panic. Yes. Right. If you have got some game plan, if you've got somebody in your mind who you can contact, I'm sure there's a protocol, of course, that Hamilton has, but you said it's, it affects you on different levels. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that's not COVID related, but is a piece of information or advice that I like to share with students that is not necessarily reassuring, but maybe is in some ways. You said it earlier that I think students hope and expect that they cross the stage for graduation and some switch gets flipped and life just becomes obvious and easy and you understand what it, what adulting is about. And it does not work like that. And we're all still trying to figure it out. I'm 20 years out from, I've been at Hamilton as long as our first years have been alive. And I still, every day, I'm trying to figure it out. And so I'm sorry to tell you that your ability to handle awkward conversations and your ability to kind of move through challenging situations is not going to change. You'll get better at it. You'll get more practiced at it. So it'll get easier, but it doesn't go away. And I just think about the awkward conversations. I mean, right now in my own life, those conversations are happening with my parents. Yeah. My parents are in my circle and we're very fortunate for that. But my kids are about to go back to school. And when you talk about adding risk and wanting to protect my parents, so now we're going to shift who's in the circle while we see how the school transition goes. And it's the same type of concept in whoever is in your world and whoever's in our students' worlds, that you have to make conscious choices and you have to be prepared to have difficult, awkward conversations. It's just part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our students should take this as a learning moment, right? I think this is really important. This is not just going to help them navigate safety in COVID, but it would help them navigate so much more if they're able to develop the skill and sort of have really honest conversations about consent, about mm -hmm. tolerance, about how do you actually communicate to people that you're not comfortable with something, right? That they may, you may have a best friend who's got a very different risk tolerance in you. It has, it's no reflection on their moral character. There's no reflection on their intellect, but everyone is comfortable with different things, right? Yeah. Uh, depending on the individual health and sort of their own sort of worldview. And I think it's also an important moment for us to think about collective responsibility, 
Yes. Right. Where are the trade-offs that somebody is willing to make in terms of their life to ensure that you know we're being responsible adults and we're being responsible for each other's health as well as our own? Absolutely. Yeah, the consent conversations are an important one because we try to infuse conversations around consent when it comes to physical sexual relationships and that's still absolutely necessary it's in many ways even more necessary than ever but at the same time this really does expand that conversation in ways that we typically would just take for granted that we did don't need to get consent we don't need to have those conversations but now we do and and maybe we always should have and this is an opportunity for us to look at all of our interactions differently and to really as you said develop these skills because they are skills that are going to benefit you if we have a vaccine in the coming year and we get back to a back to a normal that looks more like pre-pandemic normal great, but that doesn't mean that the skills of being able to move through awkward conversations and making sure that you're getting consent for your interactions with other people is not going to benefit you. It absolutely will. Think of it like, um, you know, when you move into your dorm, you know, at the end of the year, after nine months, you're moving out. So you could choose not to decorate your place. You could choose to leave everything in your boxes and, you know, hunker down. Or you could decorate your place, like make it the ideal situation, and then at the end of the year, touch wood, <laughs> you can move out. I know many of our uh, students um, had to move out in different circumstances, but uh, in the last semester, but it, you're in a situation and you need to make the best of it, right? And I think that that is something that you can rise to the occasion. Yeah, that's good. It, that is kind of where this conversation in many ways started of the we spend a lot of time talking about what people can't do, but there's a lot of things you can do. And one of the things that I've been thinking about and I've said to some number of students is that individual students are going to have to make their own decisions with any partner that they might have if they're looking to have a physical relationship, for example. But outside of that, too, there's so many opportunities to still do relationship development, whether it's a friendship or it's a, a physical or dating relationship, that that kind of courtship aspect of gaining, building a relationship, get, getting a greater depth of a relationship, all those things are still available. You can still absolutely spend quality time with other people, whether that's outside at a distance or you know, however, whatever the context is where you're mitigating your safety in a way that feels good to you, and it's still a great opportunity. So I've been thinking a lot about how if you're a new first year, for example, or you're even an upper class student who hasn't found your people, there's a lot of virtual engagement opportunities that, are, that will exist. And you can use that, whether it's your classroom experience or you're getting involved on campus, you can use that to make individual connections. And then you can still use the outdoors and use other ways to engage with people to build depth of relationships. Those opportunities are still there and you should take advantage of this time for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also an opportunity to do something new, right? To learn something new. I think I, for one, is I'm not an outdoor sports person, but I've been hiking more. Like I discovered that uh, I'm a little afraid of heights. <laughs> you <laughs> Me too. Realized that. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was a new experience. You know, I met a friend who I meet every year and uh, usually we go to a big city. And this time we went to, basically went hiking in the middle of nature. 
because that was our way of maintaining a friendship, but sort of trying to mitigate as much risk as we could. Yeah. Right? I think as humans, we constantly evolve. Right? And I, th- I am always impressed by our capacity for learning new things, to changing what our expectations are. And I think we kind of have to do that. I think we have to mourn perhaps what we've lost. I you know, mourn being able to just jump on a flight and go see my parents. I do not know when the next time I can go see my parents in Pakistan. And that is, on some level, it's heartbreaking. But on the other, I now make sure I FaceTime them more often, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to make sure of that. And I think it's also a moment of growth, right? That I think we're born into a society where we're trained to think we can have it all. And yeah. we're like trained to sort of want to have it all. And I think that ambition is important, but I think it's also important to sort of recognize that there are circumstances and we have to make the best of those circumstances. And I think that's where resilience comes in. Yes. I think that's another thing if we could learn out of this experience is resilience. Mm-hmm. To make the best of the circumstances that we're in and sort of when we get knocked down, how do we rise up smartly? Yes. Agreed. And I actually think that this generation of college students are going to ultimately, as a result of this, be among the most resilient people in our society. I think that we all have that opportunity. But I think going through this, I just think about last year's graduating class or this year's first year class and how they lost the tail end of high school and are coming here in this different environment. And they are here and they're working through it and they're doing the things and trying to keep a positive attitude. The other thing for me that's really important, and I'll admit that I have my own struggles with this, but it's a part of the resilience piece. And that is remembering to be kind to myself that as I struggle and sometimes make mistakes or I'm not, it's not always easy to be at the top of your game when you don't have access to all the same resources and all the same actions that you would typically take. And therefore it means that you might not be as effective or it may, things may not work out as they typically would. And that the grace that we want our community to give to others to avoid the stigma of this, we can also give to ourselves. And that is something that is, is important to try to keep in mind. Absolutely. And I think, Building off what you just said, one thing that sort of, for me personally, COVID made very clear was it made my priorities very clear to me, right? And I suspect that this experience of being in quarantine for the students may have been similar. Sure. To see, for them to make their own priorities of like, what is it that they really crave, right? I will, I will say I am very impressed by our students and seeing how they are practicing the right protocols. Yes. Uh, I, you know, just traveling a little bit in central New York, I will say Hamilton is probably the number one spot where I've seen people, like the most amount of mask wearers, people sort of like observing social distance. I think our community is doing really well. I think it's important for us to figure out a way to sort of keep going not get fatigued, remember why we're doing this, and also remember that this is life. Yes. We have to have joy, that we have to have human connection. I think one of the things that sort of comes across also when you compare it to the HIV pandemic was that the communities that were affected by it learned resilience and yes. learned how to continue to love, learned how to continue to form those in families, learned how to sort of exist in in a system that was stacked against them both legally medically 
and then also socially in terms of if you think about sort of social stigma if you think about like lack of employment protection if you think about lack of recognition of people's chosen relationships there's no reason that we cannot rise to the occasion as well and rise to it with joy yes right i mean the one thing that you can always um you always create the queer community for being a very joyful community <laughs> yes right even even in the moments of hardship and i think that there's no reason why we should not be able to also have a fulfilling rich life that is respectful of each other and also is safe absolutely are we missing anything wear a mask <laughs> <laughs> wear a mask stay physically distant exactly <laughs> After all we said, the rules are still the same. Wear a mask, wash your hands, mind your distance, and have a conversation with people. Ask them what they're comfortable with, you know, and find some humor in it. I was talking to my mother the other day, and she was like, "Yeah, I was just washing my the bananas," and I, I wanted, I wanted to burst out laughing, and I may have a little bit, but I was like, you know what? That's her jam, right? <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a number of memes and other jokes about that about like when we're all older and we have younger people in our lives they're like, "Why do you always use a Clorox wipe on the outside of the pizza box?" And you're like, "Listen, 2020 was a lot." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a lovely conversation and I really, I thank you a lot. I think our community will benefit from hearing your wonderful voice on this topic. It was my pleasure. Thank you. That was Usman Hamid, instructor of Asian studies. Stay tuned for future episodes. This is Life on the Hill.